Episode 211, Bonus Edition, Interview with Kim Strobel. Hi, I'm Dr. Greg Goins from the Reimagined Schools podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Educators, is your passion tank running on empty? Look no further. Gretchen of Always a Lesson has a double dose of just what you need. Come fill yourself up with an empowering educators podcast to start your day feeling empowered. Welcome to the Always a Lesson summer interview series. I've asked some very special guests to bring their wisdom to you all throughout May, June, July, and August. Connecting you with other elite educators is one of my favorite parts of this job as a teacher leader and podcaster. The insight that you are going to gain from these conversations is going to prepare you to hit the ground running during the back-to-school season, but more importantly, it is going to reignite your passion and your potential as an educator. Are you ready to level up what you bring to the table and how you serve those you lead? Then buckle up and let's go. Today's a special day because we have a guest appearance. I want to help you reignite your passion and potential by learning from another elite educator and my dear friend, Kim Strobel. She's got quite an empowering message for you, but before we dive into the interview, I want to tell you a little bit more about her. So Kim is a teacher, a consultant, a speaker, a happiness coach, and an aspiring author. She is a licensed ELA teacher for grades K-12. She's taught in classrooms of all grade levels during almost 20 years as an education professional. She began her career teaching fourth grade, during which time she served on numerous committees devoted to improving the curriculum and the culture of the schools. She then served as a K-12 literacy coordinator, helping to develop a school-wide plan to improve literacy achievement and implement new Common Core literacy standards. She found her next challenge as director of curriculum and instruction for a school district, during which she developed curriculum in all content areas K-12. She collaborated with teachers and administrators to really identify instructional needs, and she served as a liaison with state and local agencies. She's been recognized at the state and local level for her achievements and contributions to the educational field. For example, in 2010, she was awarded a grant from the Lilly Endowment Teacher Creativity Fellowship. So she used to study the practice of meditation and how to use it in the classroom. And then most recently, she has taken her vision of reimagining education to the national stage as a featured keynote speaker at the Innovative School Summit in Atlanta and the School Discipline Conference in Los Vegas. She's also recently added the role of happiness coach to her resume, her new business, Kim Strobel Live Events and Retreats, which is part of her business, Strobel Education. It really guides individuals towards rediscovering their authentic selves and reclaiming their personal and professional joy. What's great about Kim, though, is she sprinkles happiness tips and tricks into her education workshops, ensuring that teachers re-enter their classrooms with renewed purpose and passion. So if you're thinking, wow, this lady should be pretty happy and joyful, 
Let me tell you, she is, and she genuinely is. She is a wealth of knowledge. She is full of joy and happiness, and she's a great advocate for instruction. So let's jump into my conversation with my friend, Kim. Well, hey, Kim, thanks so much for being a guest here on the Empowering Educators podcast. Thank you, Gretchen. I'm excited to be here today. Well, good. I don't want to beat around the bush. Uh, We've got a lot of great content. You have done some amazing things. And I know that those of us who are listening have a lot of questions that you could potentially answer. And so I'm going to dive right in to just learning more about you and how you're providing for the community. Is that okay? Yes, let's do it. So just start off, paint the picture. How do you and I know each other? How did our paths cross? Okay. Well, I think it was our mutual friend, Amber Harper from Burned In Teacher. Hey, Amber. Uh, Yeah. Hey, Amber, which I'm kind of curious how you and Amber's paths cross now that I think about that. But um, yep, Amber was starting her business and her education consulting business. And she had found me since we're both Indiana girls. And we started coordinating back and forth. And then she looped me in on you, which I'm not sure what her connection is with you. I want you to tell me that. Um, But kind of, you know, these three women who are diving in and doing something different as far as entrepreneurship. Yeah, and using our education degrees in a new way and figuring it out on our own. Oh my gosh, it's so frustrating. <laughs> oh, it is so hard. It's really hard to leave the classroom too, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. Now, Amber and I connected through social media just because we had similar audiences and kind of had the same passion and reached out to me and we got connected and, and we would ask questions back and forth. And she'd say, you know, I've got this mentor that is just teaching me so much of what she's learned. She's a little bit further down on the path than you and I, but I think you should meet her. Her name's Kim. And I'm like, this is great. So over the months, it's now been, it's just been great to have someone to ask questions who is also using their formal degree to do something in a new way to give back to the educational community in a way that's kind of rare at the moment. So I'm just thankful to have a guide like you on this journey with me. Thank you for that, Gretchen. I I enjoy that we can support each other. Women supporting women is important to me. So, Amen. Well, how did you get to where you are now? Can you give us this storyline of where you started and what you're doing today? Yes. So how far back do you want me to go? That's my question. Classroom would be ideal. So where did you start and what was your focal area? All right. So I had my elementary education degree from the University of Southern Indiana. And when I went into teaching, there were like no teaching jobs. And so I worked as a teacher's assistant for the first, oh gosh, probably two or three years. I was just really dying to get my own classroom Mm -hmm. and to make that big paycheck because, you know, going from $8 an hour to maybe 30,000 a year felt like a giant. Exactly. (laughs) And so I, I spent all of my teaching years at the fourth grade level, which was just perfect for me. I absolutely loved it. I loved having, you know, 28, 29 kids that I got to walk through the school year with 180 days a year. Um, And I really just felt like I was in my zone of excellence. I felt like it was just a really good fit for me. But I also always have had these kind of leadership qualities that I was kind of always this teacher who was always reading books and implementing new things in my classroom, not afraid to try. Um, And so I really felt called to begin to lead. So I went back to school, got my master's, and then I got my admin degree. 
and I stepped into a literacy coordinator's position. I was the K-12 literacy coordinator, which was a great opportunity because it forced me to step into kindergarten classrooms and look at what um, is happening there. And it forced me to step into the AP chemistry classes. And I always kind of joke, you know, I was actually, Gretchen, way more fearful of the kindergarten classes than I was the AP. I was like, what is going on in here? This is like hurting cats, you know, like get out from under the table. Oh my goodness. I was like, this is crazy. Like we, you know, even just being a fourth grade teacher, like the kindergarten level is so So different. different. But I was, um, I was sent to spend about three months in a K classroom and a first grade classroom. And I fell in love because I didn't realize what grade did you teach Gretchen? Was it kindergarten? Second, third and fifth. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't realize that at like the kindergarten level, there's no other grade that sees the kind of growth that happens from the time those little beings come in the doors in August. And even like by Christmas, you know, they just grow so fast and they learn so quickly. And that was the joy of the primary grades. Mm -hmm. And so that was really a unique experience for me. Um, And then I got asked by a consulting company if I would come, well, let me back up a little bit. So I was at like a regional education training center attending a workshop and this really wonderful man who was the director came up to me, Rob Moore, and he said, Kim, have you ever thought about creating your own workshop? You just seem really knowledgeable and you've contributed a lot today. And it was actually one of those divine interventions because Gretchen had been attending workshops led by education consultants for years. And I had this like little secret dream that maybe I could do that. Maybe I could do that. But then I had all the fears creep in because, you know, I'm the girl that had panic attacks and couldn't walk to her mailbox at one time in her life. Yeah. Like there's this whole back history to how fear has dominated my life. And, and we can talk more about that if you want later, because I think that is the topic anxiety and panic that is also um, really prevalent for for everyone, but it seems to be in the education field as well. But anyway, I I took the little lure that was dangled out at me and I said, yeah, I'll create a training on reading and I'll come present. And so I did it, Gretchen. And yes. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like, I think I'm, I might be better at this than I am teaching. Cause <laughs> I mean, I, I felt like this different kind of passion and this different kind of desire. And so long story short, um, another education consultant kind of came and watched me and they said, you're really good. I'd love for you to join our team. So I joined their team for a year and I'll just be honest with you. It was pure hell. <laughs> It was terrible. It was like I was working. I felt like I was working 20 out of 24 hours a day. I would like have all these topics I had to present on. I'd have to like I'd study till midnight and then I'd get up at like three or four and I would drive to my school and I'd present all day and then I would drive to another school and present all day. And then I just it was just too much pressure and too many varied topics that I had to learn and present on. And I about had a meltdown. So Um, I started with them in like June and then by the next February I said, Hey, I, I am losing my mind. I can't parent my children. You guys are expecting too much out of me. And they asked me to finish the year and I did. And I had a two year non-compete with them. And so I was like, Oh, you know, I kind of felt like a failure and I was super scared because I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm whatever it was, 40, 40 years old. And for the first time since I've been in fifth grade, I don't have a job. 
Right. You know, because I'd always worked. I babysat or worked at the bank and in high school. And so I was really scared. And um, I was listening to two things happened. One was one of the very last professional developments that I gave for um, a school. They had written on my evaluation. It's not blank and blank, this name of the company that we love so much. It's Kim Strobel. What? And I thought, maybe it's not just that the material I'm presenting is great because these people were really good at the material they were presenting, the strategies they were presenting to teachers. But like, maybe, maybe it's me that adds the extra thing to this. And I got to thinking and I was like, maybe I can launch my own education consulting company. But I was under a non-compete for two years. Right. So what I did is the uh, the earth moved for me, and I ended up getting a part-time curriculum director's job at a really wonderful school corporation. And so for two years, I two and a half years, I worked for them, and then I kind of started like building my own business on the side and getting ready to launch. Mm. And so it was um, it was like. October of 2015. And I told my husband, I'm ready. I want to launch Strobel education into the stratosphere. And my husband is like, he's super grounded and he's super calm and he's pretty cautious guy. And he was like, what? (laughs) Like you want to give up this stable paycheck and we have great insurance and you're an administrator and we don't pay for insurance and you want to launch this business. And how are you going to get schools? And what if nobody hires you? And so, you know, he was kind of taking the steam out of me. Right. And um, I just kept listening to the calling. It was so very strong in me. So basically mid-November, I'm like, here's the deal. I'm doing it and I'm doing it January 1st. And if you can't get behind me, you need to get some counseling. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. And he did. He got himself in counseling and he got himself behind his wife. And come January 1st, we launched. And um, I always say, Gretchen, I'm the girl who struggled to walk to her mailbox or who struggled to um, even read her index cards in her sophomore speech class. I was, <laughs> And now I'm the girl that gets on stages all across the country with thousands of people in the crowd. So isn't that interesting? Such an empowering story about risk-taking and following your gut and using all these lessons you've learned along the way, putting them together and using those skills in a new way to give back. And I just think a lot of listeners can see parts of themselves in your story and say, oh, I kind of have that calling on my heart, or I think I'm really good when I present professional development, or there's this other thing that I've been wanting to do, and I'm scared because I don't have the support of my family. And so I think your story really encourages us to say, hey, I have to live a life that's rewarding and aligned to who I am, and that requires me to do scary things. And you have worked through a lot of those scary feelings, so I just applaud you for your guts. Thank you. Yes. People always ask me, how did you have the courage to do it? And I always say that fear and I have kind of an intimate relationship because I've had to do hard things my whole life. I mean, all of us have had challenges and struggles and adversities, and I feel like I've had my fair share of them. And because of those really hard things that I've had to do in my life, Mm -hmm. um, I do feel like I know how to do hard things. Yeah. 
Um, and that means I fail sometimes. And it means that, you know, a few days of the month, I'm on my office floor crying and pretty sure that the world is coming apart and that I'm, you know, a complete failure and all of those things that we feel. That's amazing. You were talking about the feedback you got about your X factor, that you were the thing that brought content to life and, and knowing you've worked with teachers of all grade levels and experience levels. Is there an X factor you've noticed in other teachers that makes them great? And if so, what would you say that is? Oh my gosh, for sure. Um, well, at first I have to, have to back up because you're, you're so right when you say that we kind of are afraid to take a chance on what we think our strengths might be. And I just read a really interesting piece of research last week. Um, and it said that in order for a man to have the confidence to apply for a job or to go after a dream that he wants, he feels like he has to have about 30% of the skill set. Whereas a woman feels like she has to have 95%. That's so true. <laughs> Isn't that so true? Because we tell ourselves like, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. I couldn't do it as well as someone else. And so we cop out of kind of going after that thing rather than saying, hey, I don't have to know all of it in order to be able to figure it out. Because let's be honest, I had zero business sense mm -hmm. when I launched my own business. And it's been a huge learning curve for me. Um, and so as I'm in classrooms and working with teachers or, you know, I give a lot of, um, because, you know, I'm a happiness coach as well. And I, the teacher's well-being is really important to me. And so when I give a keynote on like the science of happiness or um, how to connect with our why, I think that the number one thing I see in educators that sometimes does not get recognized is I always say, you know, we certainly have never done this job for the money because the value that we we bring to the classroom far outweighs our paycheck. And and I'm not going to lie. I think it's a hard pill to swallow, Gretchen. It's really hard when your paycheck doesn't match what you're showing up and doing for for your impacting and influencing students. But even though the teachers don't have kind of the reciprocal pay that they deserve, and they certainly don't get the pats on the back or the accolades, yet I see it so much of the time that day after day after day, they show up and they do what's best for kids because they absolutely have a, a love of helping children and students learn to succeed in life. And I've always said, you know, I think it's really hard to take a teacher who doesn't know how to have relationships with their kids, and most of them do, but I think knowing how to have relationships with students, that's the X factor. Mm. You don't have to be great at teaching your content all the time. You know, that's helpful. But if you know how to engage and, and, and really let a child know they are loved, I think that's the X factor of almost every teacher I see. I think that's important to mention because – when you're thinking of qualities of a teacher, you're thinking about all the technique, right? But building relationships is the foundation, and we can't overlook that. Some people have it, and some people don't. And the ones that have it leave such a legacy behind them because they prioritize getting to know kids as people first and then helping them succeed in the classroom. So I 100% agree with you. Yeah, you know, and I think that we don't, you know, I don't know. I, I call an ace an ace, and I'm pretty um, – I just do real talk with people. And I think 
that we also don't feel like we're allowed to because we feel like the curriculum and the mm -hmm. standards and the testing and all of that gets pushed down our throat that we're like walking on pins and needles and we don't always feel like we have the time to nurture those relationships. But my friend Jed Derryberry has this quote that I absolutely live by and it says, love first, teach second. And to me, what that means is that your number one job is to have these relationships with the kids. And if you take the time to really nurture that, you can teach the content the rest of the year because they'll receive it. Yeah. And I also think that so many days we leave the classroom and we walk out those doors and we feel like we simply were not enough that day, right? Like we mm -hmm. weren't enough for that kid or we didn't handle that situation well enough or we lost our temper or we felt stressed or whatever. And I sometimes think, Gretchen, that when we walk out those doors, if the only thing you did that day was you loved a child, I kind of think you did your job that day. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think that's solid advice. And speaking of advice, I want to hone in on specific listeners of the show, and I'll give you the option to choose who you want to speak to. We've got new teachers that are tuning in, teachers that are transitioning roles or maybe into a different school, um, maybe in a situation of kind of distress like you were of not having that job quite yet, and then teacher leaders. So if you were to, to pick one of those umbrellas of educators and give them um, a piece of advice specific to what they might be facing, who would you pick and what would you say to them? I would actually pick all three because one of the number one pieces of advice that I give when I'm on the stage is you are more than a teacher or an administrator. Like it's really easy to let this job absolutely consume us. Yes. And most people who go into education, I always say they kind of have um, a character set. And I always laugh. I think most teachers are type A. <laughs> most teachers are People in education are perfectionistic in nature. We have tremendous drive and we want to show up and do the very best job and make sure that we've checked all of our boxes and, you know, we've done all of that stuff. I always say we have a little OCD, most of us do, going on as well. <laughs> and I would say that the thing that is happening is that we're feeling, everyone's feeling burned out, Gretchen. Yeah. And it's really hard to figure out how to get off that hamster wheel, but I see people in education who are losing their personal lives to their job. Right. And so the biggest piece of advice I, I would give them, and this is one of the things that we teach, but here's what we know. We know that a positive brain is 31% more productive than a brain that's at negative, mm -hmm. neutral, or stressed. Wow. And so when we're staying past four or four thirty every evening, we're at the school till five or six, we're coming in on Saturdays, we're coming in on Sundays and getting everything ready. We think that we're doing all of this in order to, you know, be able to stay ahead of the game. And that's a real anxiety. And I definitely understand that. But I would say to you that first of all, I think holding ourselves to this perfectionism standard is maybe one of the lowest standards we can hold ourselves to. And it's really about finding the minimum effective dosage. Hmm. You know, we, we can boil water at 212 degrees. So why would we try to boil it at 276? Because we're not going to really get much of an outcome. I love this. You're really pushing my thinking. I, keep going. Yeah, keep going. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I feel like teachers are burning it at like 276. 
-hmm. And what I tell teachers is you have to get your life back and the expectations in education are probably never going to change. We can't change what, what the state department or any outside influences are expecting of, of us will never change that there is such a high expectation on how we're supposed to be able to perform and what we're supposed to be able to accomplish in a day. But what we can change, Gretchen, is ourselves. And we can decide that we're not going to let the profession steal our time away from our family and our own mental well-being. And so what I encourage teachers to do is to say, hey, I want you to think about that. If you if you push yourself to get out the door most days by 4 p.m., that means you're going to leave some things undone. And I get that. But I want to know if you stay till 6 is the margin of effectiveness so great that it is worth you spending an extra two hours every day at the end of the school day? Because the margin is not very great for how much more effective you probably are. And in fact, in fact, from the happiness research, Gretchen, and the wellness research, we actually know that if we can get you to get more pleasure in your life, if we can get your mental well-being back in check, you're so much more productive during the day when you are there. Wow. And so this is why the science of happiness is the number one keynote I get called to do at schools because people are like, I get it. I just don't know how to how, do it. Yeah, the how piece. I don't know how to do it, right? Your brain is trained to operate like this. Um, but we know that we can give specific strategies to teachers that will actually help them get their brain to positive. And when we get their brain to positive, we make them 31% more productive. That's a great data point, something I've never heard before. I'm certainly going to put that in the show notes. And you're pushing my thinking about the return on investment. Like what is the most and the least at the same time amount of output that I need in order to operate at my best? And that really takes a lot of calibration and tweaking and changing and reflection for each person to figure out what that magic number is, what that sweet spot is. It is. And, you know, I think about I do a lot of interviews as a happiness researcher. I'm constantly interviewing people. And some of the older teachers that have been in this for a while, they, they're they really concerned about the younger teachers. And they say, Kim, if there's one thing when you're going around the country that you can tell some of those younger teachers is, tell them not to let the job take them away from their families. And she said, this one particular teacher said, I, I did that, Kim. And she said, I look back. And I think about, it makes me want to cry, Gretchen, but I think about all the hours I took away from my little young ones because I wouldn't get home till six o'clock. And she said, if I could take that back, even if it meant that I was less of a teacher, right. you know, I would want that time back. And, and then I say to the administrators, if this is something you really want to promote in your school, then you need to lead it mm -hmm. and you need to example, which means you get out the door to most days by four. And some administrators in the crowd are like clapping for me. And they're so excited when I'm telling the teachers to get out the door. And then I, when I look <laughs> at them and I tell them they have to, it's like a whole new game, right? Uh -huh. Like they know they were going to have to do it. I know it's a fine balance of prioritizing your tasks. Um, maybe it's not the cute bulletin boards, teachers, that you love to do. I mean, maybe you've really got to dig into some data before you leave at four. Like you've really got to look at What's in front of you? How can you use your time efficiently and effectively? And some of the things you're probably doing are not going to make you productive. And that's a harsh reality and probably same with the administrators. But 
we've got to work smarter and and prioritizing family and and health and happiness is something that our culture in the United States does not do and i think a lot of other countries do prioritize having lunch with your families having a long break taking long holidays and we're all about work 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 but as you're showing us facts now the output and the outcomes aren't proving that our stress over work is actually working it's it's failing us it really is. There's tremendous research out there. I mean, one of the things that um, I work on, because of course, you know, I have a, I, I also coach women online. I have like a life coaching business as well. And I mostly work with women in that realm. And one of the things that we talk about, which this applies to everyone, Gretchen, is, you know, it's really about adding more pleasure in our life. When you add more pleasure in your life, then you add more abundance in all other areas. So like when you add more pleasure in your life, you actually start to lose the weight. When you add more pleasure in your life, you start to earn more money. When you add more pleasure in your your life, you start to have healthy relationships. But we feel guilty for adding pleasure because we we have told ourselves that our self-worth at the end of the day, and, and I'll tell you what, I'm a fine one to be preaching this because I have some of this in me as well. But sometimes it's like my self-worth at the end of the day is based on how much I've been able to accomplish when mm-hmm. when what I really want to celebrate and what I've been doing is like, hey, I totally vegged out for two hours on Netflix yesterday afternoon because <laughs> I my body and brain needed it. Yeah. You know, and so I do think that it is a cultural shift that is starting to happen. And we're all kind of like, really? Like the, the science backs that up? <laughs> Well, that's great. Um, You've given some good advice. Who do you go to for advice? Do you have a mentor that you reach out to to kind of help you work through things? I do. I have several. So I've kind of had this really wonderful man in my life for about 20 years. And he's he is a therapist, a life coach and a spiritual mentor all wrapped into one. And so I think that he has been a wonderful guide for me. Um, But I am just a self-help junkie, Gretchen. So because of my own... um, challenges early in life, I dove into the self-help field. And that's where I've been for 20 years. And I just absolutely read, absorb, and then implement. I mean, I'm a really big implementer. So I'm one of these people that doesn't just read information. I read information and I actually put it into practice. And I think that's something that um, has really helped me elevate my own life. But yeah, I mean, I enroll in coaching programs. uh, And I have along the way because I have just found that we need that support and that accountability um, to be able to change what is like an old kind of tape and neural pathway in our brain. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it takes work. And here's the deal. Like you're going to you're going to feel guilty when you start doing this. You're if you wait to start doing this when you don't feel guilty, you're never going to do it. You're going to feel guilty or uncomfortable leaving it for or giving yourself more pleasure in your life. But I want you to do it anyway until it becomes the new norm. Mm -hmm. Hey, y'all, I just want to take a quick second to let you know support for this episode is brought to you by PowerSchool. They know teachers go above and beyond for students. But teachers need help too, especially as they're asked to do more every day. And that's why PowerSchool, now with Schoology, combines SIS, LMS, and assessment technology empowering teachers with more time for what really matters. Visit www.powerschool.com slash time for teachers to find out how teachers are using technology to unlock student success. PowerSchool, time for teachers. 
That's great. And you, you talked about research. Where are you going to get your current research to oh. help you do a better job or just be more aware of what's happening? Okay. So some of my favorite happiness researchers, my very favorite is Sonia Lubomirsky. And she wrote The How of Happiness. And the reason I love that book is because it's all very vetted research. The other one is Martin Seligman. He's from the University of Pennsylvania. And he wrote the book Flourish. And Martin Seligman um, created the positive psychology class at the University of Pennsylvania. And he's been studying this for 50 years. And and then Sean Aker would be my third one. And Sean Aker, he's been featured on Oprah. Um, he teaches or he taught the positive psychology class at Harvard. And he, too, has been immersed in these studies. And so one of the things that he really talks about is that we've all been led to believe that um, if you if you, you know, go to school and get your degree and 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 get a good job and, and make good money and climb the ladder and make more money and climb the ladder a little bit more and make more money. And then on the other side of all of that, you will have finally achieved success. And so that's what we all do, right? We all are chasing success by putting our head to the grindstone and working really hard. And, you know, when we finally get the bigger house for our family or when we finally get um, the nice car or when we finally make this kind of money, then we will have arrived at our happiness. And what all the research is showing is that that formula is completely backwards. Mm -hmm. That actually when you put your happiness and wellness at the forefront, then every success outcome changes. Wow. Um, and I'm happy to give you a real quick tutorial of the happiness research. If you're, if you're usually the people are very interested in like, well, where does my happiness come from and how mm -hmm. do I get more of it? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so my favorite piece of research is that we all have what's called a baseline happiness level. And so maybe yours is higher than mine, Gretchen. Maybe you have a baseline that is a little bit higher than mine, which means that when you and I um, go out and buy ourselves a new pair of shoes or a new Kate Spade purse or people go out and get a new job or whatever it is, our happiness level does go up for a period of time. But after a very short period, our happiness levels go back to whatever their default is. And so, you know, you get these little highs, like you go on a vacation and you're happier and then you come back home and it goes back to your default or you buy a new pair of shoes and your happiness level goes up for a day or so and then it goes back to whatever your default is. Now, what's interesting about this is the science completely backs up the opposite, which is you can endure really terrible things in your life loss, disease, illness, grief, loss of a job, loss of a family member, you can endure really terrible things. And after a certain amount of time, you will most likely go back to your default. Hmm. And so they even did these studies on paraplegics. And they found that a paraplegic actually returns to their baseline happiness level before their accident within about three to five years. Wow. It's, but, but we say like, I have trouble kind of believing it, right? I think it's really hard to believe that if I experienced a terrible loss that I wouldn't be impacted by that for the rest of my life, which right. I would be impacted by it. But when you look around, you see people who have endured terrible things, like terrible atrocities, 
but somehow they go on to live a very meaningful life. And then you see others who, who, who let it completely derail them. Mm -hmm. And so some people say, okay, well, where does this happiness level come from? So our baseline happiness level, 50% of it is genetic. 50% of it comes from your mom or your dad or a mixture of both. And, and when I tell people this, like educators hang their head and they're like, I'm so screwed. <laughs> I was trying to think through what that meant for me. <laughs> right? I'm so screwed. And I'm like, wait, wait, it's just 50%. But that's the truth of the matter, right? You and I see people all of the time. They work in the same school as us. They have the same challenges. And some of them go around like everything's lottie dotty, and the rest of us are popping our antidepressant or our Xanax to get through the day, you know? Yeah, true. <laughs> So 50% is genetic. It's just the way you were born and the way you handle stuff. Um, and then get this. If, so I want you to picture it as this pie chart. So 10% and only 10% of your long-term happiness comes from your external circumstances. What that's do I mean it. by that? That's, that's not as much as I thought. It's not. This means if you're married, divorced, widowed, single. This means if you make 50000 a year, or 500,000 a year, uh, what kind of car you drive, what kind of home you live in, all of those external circumstances that we actually think are contributing to our inability to find our happiness, the science says it really only accounts for about 10% of long-term happiness. That's us, Gretchen, letting it eat more than 10% of the pie. Yeah, wow, not good. Not good. But we all do it, right? Like my son's basketball team, this is a silly example, but last year they made it, they, they won the sectional. It was the first time in 26 years that a little small town won the sectional. We went to regional, we lost, and I'm going to tell you what, Kim Strobel let that, you know, steal her happiness for three damn weeks. No. <laughs> That's funny. My husband, after week three, he was like, Kim, you must stop. We didn't win. I know that we should have won, but we didn't. And you're going to have to stop ruminating on this, right? So that was me, like, letting some silly external circumstance rob me of my joy. Yeah. It wasn't the situation. It was me because, like, a lot of other people just went on and lived their life normal for the next three weeks. <laughs> But what I like about what you're saying when you put the data behind it is we've all heard like you can control how you feel about something. Just make a different choice. But when you say it should only control 10 percent of yourself, that's when you say, OK, am I letting it be more than that 10 percent? OK, I need to bring it back down. So I like that data piece to say that this is your calibration method. This is where you need to keep it at bay so that it doesn't consume you rather than just saying make a different choice. It's like no, let's yes. think about it. It's, it's consuming you more than it should for you to be yes. productive and happy. Yeah. And it's your thoughts, right? So choose a different thought. Now get it. If you and I were to have someone that we love, um, you know, pass away suddenly, it's for sure going to rob us of more than 10%. And it should for a, probably a pretty long time. But what the research shows is after a period of time, a person does seem to be able to bounce back. And so we're really talking about long-term happiness. We're not saying that if you're suffering from depression right now, that it shouldn't be stealing more than 10%. That's a real illness and it will steal more than 10%. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But what we really are talking about is our long-term happiness and the, the ability to bounce back. Yeah. Um, and I think that's so important. 
Um, and I always throw this out here too. So I always say, hey, how many of you listening are a parent? Right? We're all parents, most of us, not all of us. The research says when you become a parent, you become a little less happy for the rest of your life. No. Yes. And and here's why. I'm going to tell you why. And you're going to be like, you're so right, Kim. Do you have more joy and more meaning? Oh, yes. Like you and I, Gretchen, we we are so thankful for our children. Like we do understand that they are the biggest gifts we've been given. Yes. But the research says you're a little less happy because your stress level. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're yeah. out for the rest of your life, Gretchen. You're right. And because you're anxious all the time around these kids, even when they're grown and adults and you're checking on the app to make sure they made it back to their dorm room. And it's because the stress level zaps a little bit of that. Hmm. So people always get a really good giggle that about is that. Funny. It's yeah. like, yeah, it's true. So if, if 50% is genetic and 10% is your external circumstances, guess what? That leaves 40% of the pie chart left. And this is the part that I've studied and implemented Gretchen that has been a game changer. Every human being, regardless of your genetics, regardless of your external circumstances, every human being has the ability to increase their happiness levels by up to 40%. So what, through choice and action and, and what? Yeah, so I teach I teach six core things that to me, they, they're the five of them are the top five research-based strategies that you can use to do that. Mm-hmm. And then the, the sixth one is a Kim Schrubel add-on. But I can, <laughs> you, I can tell you what they are real quick if yeah, you want to know. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, a gratitude practice. We know that if a person was to write down three things that they are thankful for each and every day, three different things for the next 21 days, that we can actually rewire the neural connection feedback loop in your brain. Wow. It takes two minutes or one minute to simply write down, I am thankful, dot, 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 number one. I woke up this morning and my heart was still beating. Number two, I looked outside and the sun was shining. Number three, the squirrel that ran across the driveway gave me a good smile. (laughs) And so I've seen you you, do this. Yes. If you write down three things that you're thankful for every day for the next 21 days and beyond, of course, we actually rewire your brain towards positive and your brain changes the lens through which it views the world. And it starts to pick out all that's right versus all that's wrong. Yeah. So you're developing this habit. You're, like you said, rewiring the brain. You're making a you're new habit to be positive. Brain. Yeah. Yep. Love it. Yeah. So another one is exercise. You need to move your body 30 minutes a day. You need to move your body 30 minutes a day. The third one is random acts of kindness. What we know is that it causes a ripple effect. And so what do I mean by random acts of kindness? I don't mean you have to spend money on people, but you certainly could, you know, go through the McDonald's drive-in and pay for the person's food behind you. But it's simple things like being in the target line and smiling at the person checking you out and saying, thank you. You did a great job of getting me out of here quickly. Or, you know, complimenting someone, giving them a note of appreciation. All of these little things, what we know is the endorphins and the chemicals that get released in your brain are actually more of a benefit to the giver than even the receiver of the good deed. Oh, that's why you're so excited, like, to give watch someone's face open a gift or something because you're yes. just so excited. Yeah, okay, I yeah. can see that. Yeah, yeah. All right, so gratitude, 
move your body 30 minutes a day, random acts of kindness. The fourth one is meditation. So we know that meditation is one of the top ways to increase your happiness level. And I'll tell you, Gretchen, I, I kick butt with four <laughs> of the five, uh, or, or five of the six happiness habits that I teach, but meditation is the one I'm struggling with right now. Yeah, I don't do that well either. Um, I used to do it really well. And then about nine months ago, I got out of the habit. I did do it yesterday. Um, and I use apps. So there's the Calm app, which mm-hmm. used to be free for educators even. Um, the Calm app is a great one. Like if you want to use it in your classroom with kids, because okay, we know the good. benefits of that. Um, and then I use the Ananda app, which is um, Deepak Chopra. But there's tons of them out there. But I have to have an app to help me. Um, and I need to reprioritize myself. That's my goal this year is to get my meditation practice back. Um, okay, so that's the fourth one. The fifth one is social connections. We must make time for relationships in our adult life. We must make time for friends for our partners, we must have, we are social beings. And when we put ourselves in social situations around other social beings, it has a direct correlation to our well-being. And so that's the fifth one. And then the sixth one that I throw in there is, <laughs> is really self-care. You're not selfish for putting yourself first. Oh, you- I need to, I just need to hear this because I do. I feel so guilty when I have all these things on my plate and it's like, oh, yep. you're going to go get your nails done? You're going to take a walk around yep. the block by yourself? Like, no. Who are you to think you deserve to do that? Yep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to happiness coach you right you now. You go for it. <laughs> I tell people, here's the deal. Generations, and this is especially bad for women. Women don't know how to do this. Men are kind of good at it, actually. And it's, it's a healthy thing for them, most of them. Um, generations of women before us were taught that you, you don't count. You take care of everybody else's needs. Mm -hmm. And then if there's anything left over, then you can take care of you. So like I watched, I still to this day, my grandmother or my mom will cook an amazing meal and I'll watch them let everyone go through the line first and they'll be the last one to get their plate. They'll be the last one to sit down and then they'll be the one many times that tries to clean up all the dishes, right? Mm -hmm. So women have a cellular structure about them that says, I'm not a good mom or person if I don't wait on everybody else first. And if I give to myself, that's being selfish. Now, the problem is that generation of women, many of them are angry, depressed, resentful women because they lost who they were in the process of motherhood. Mm. I have to coach women all of the time on the fact that you are not selfish for putting yourself first. And I ran into a young mother a few years ago, Madeline. She stopped me on the streets and she said, Kim, I feel so lost from who I am. And she said, I feel guilty even telling you this, but she said, I have a two-year-old and a three-year-old, two super delightful, healthy little girls. I have a really good husband. I have a good job. She said, but I... I'm so exhausted every day. And she kind of went through Gretchen and she said, you know, I wake up at six, 
I get the girls up. I get them some breakfast. We pack their backpacks. I throw them in the minivan. I take them to the sitter. I drop them off. I go to work. I work from 8 till 12. At 12, I leave for my lunch break. I run to Target. I run errands. I pay bills. I take care of different things. I come back to work. I work till five. I go grab the girls from the daycare. I get them home. I get them settled. I start making supper. My husband comes home at six. We eat dinner. We start to clean up. We start to prepare everything for the next day. The girls are playing by themselves. We finally get a little bit of time to play with the girls. And she's like, by the time my day is done, she said, I'm just wiped. I just lay down. And I think what happened today? And she started to cry. And she said, and Kim, every day, Every day feels like that. And I know I just need to suck it up. I know that when I be- chose to become a mom, this is just how it's going to be for yes. 18 years. Mm-hmm. I feel the same. I said, Madeline, you're wrong. When's the last time you took time for yourself? And she looked at me and she said, I- it's been months. I said, Madeline, we were raised by women who said this is the way that we have to do life. But it's not. Because even when you become a mother, there's still this other person inside of you that deserves to live, that has passions and dreams and likes to listen to music and likes to get her nails done and likes to drive around for an hour by herself just to have some peace. And you don't have to give that person up to become this crazy perfectionistic mother. And she looked at me stunned and she was listening And I said, because I think that being a happy mom and living life and even showing your children that you are more than a mother is really important to their development. And I said, I said, in fact, in fact, Madeline, your your two little girls who are watching you do this when when they're 28 or 30 and they have a family of their own. do Do you want them to have had a mommy who showed them growing up? that mommy loves herself enough to know that she counts too. Mm, That's good. good. Because we do have this mommy martyrdom going on Mm -hmm. and that's what we're modeling to our children. Now, listen, Gretchen, I'm not the perfect parent by any means. You know, I always tell people like, I'm never going to get the mom trophy for being (laughs) like the, the cook of the family. Like my kid never grew up with like great meals, but I've done a lot of other things really well. And when my 18 year old last year walked in the house and he, I always jumped out of my office and kind of shut it down at six o'clock or seven when he walked in from basketball practice. And he'd always give me a hug. And I said, you know, sometimes I worry that I am modeling to you that it's this constant, incessant drive and ambition because I am pretty ambitious. And he squeezed me a little bit tighter, Gretchen. And he said, Mom, there's there's two things that my friends tell me all of the time. He said, one, they tell me that my mom is such a happy person. Mm. And he said, secondly, you're modeling for me that it's okay to go after what you want in life. And I just, I just teared up, right? I just did too. (laughs) It's like, it's like he has seen this mom who does chase after her dreams. He has grown up with a mom who gives herself at least an hour every single day. And because of that, he knows that he is worthy of giving to himself when he becomes a parent and a full-time worker too. And so I do think, Gretchen, we, we all have to work on this. We all have to demonstrate 
that we, we, we are more than a teacher. We are more than a parent. Like there is that part of you that gets to live even while you're doing all those other important jobs. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Probably going to have to have a counseling session with you after this, I have never had a guest come on and just pour and pour and pour so much knowledge into the listeners. So I just really want to say thank you for being generous with what you know and encouraging us to try things differently today, tomorrow, and always. But I do want to give you a second to tell them how they can learn about you more, how they can connect with you. Oh, yes, 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 yes. So if some of some of them might be like, I can't I can't hear any more from Kim Strobel. But if you want to know more from Kim Strobel, <laughs> no. uh, <laughs> you can actually find me in a couple of different places. I have a free Facebook group um, and it's called She Finds Joy. And I show up every week and do these talks. I teach mostly women in that group how to chase their dreams, how to do self-care and self-love, how to create happiness routines in their life. Um, and so it's really a group of people who just come together for that weekly encouragement. And then my podcast has the exact same name. It's called She Finds Joy. Congratulations, uh, by the way. I know you just launched that. Gretchen, I launched it. I was so scared. Yes. <laughs> um, I launched the She Finds Joy podcast and I just, yep, this is what I'm going to do today. I'm going to sit in this room and do a bunch of batching of podcasts. Okay. Um, and then my two websites are strobeleducation.com. So like if their school maybe wants a keynote or some professional development, they can go to strobeleducation.com. And then my life coaching website is kimstrobel.com. And strobel's S-T-R-O-B-E-L, right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. You'll have to probably put it in the show notes because sometimes I think people misspell that, but it is S-T-R-O-B-E-L. I'll put everything, every book, every piece of research, every Everything you mentioned, uh, I will link it up. Don't you worry. Oh, this has been so fun. Like, I, yes, that's the thing. You almost have to stop me, Gretchen, because I could just talk forever about this. This is like what fuels me. And, and I just really feel like we need to hear it and we need to be given permission. Yes, that is how I feel. I feel like you have given me permission to live life the way I'm supposed to be living it. So thank you. You are welcome, my friend. I've really enjoyed getting to know you and I appreciate you coming on the podcast so everyone else can say they now know Kim. Uh, please connect with her, y'all. She is just obviously a wealth of knowledge, but just a really personable human being who's willing to answer any questions you have. So thanks again, Kim. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Well, y'all, I didn't lie. Wasn't that an empowering message from Kim? You can just feel how authentic she is. Like you're sitting on the back porch having your favorite drink and just chatting and catching up. And she pushes your thinking and in such encouraging way, almost like she's holding your hand, rooting for you, wanting the best, but encouraging you to take the steps and you to take control of your life. And you decide how it is that you want to be and what it is you want to do and how you want to leave your mark and she's just an incredible human being. So I hope you take my advice and you connect with Kim. All the details for how to do that are listed in the show notes. Just go to alwaysalesson.com, click on podcast, you'll find it there. And I highly suggest you also reaching out to her to see if she can come speak to your teachers, speak to your administrative team. Her perspective is really uplifting and encouraging no matter what you're facing. And I truly believe she can bring immense value to you and your life. All right, Elite Educators, that is a wrap for this week's special edition interview podcast with Kim Strobel. Now go out and be great because you've just been empowered.